The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, 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 welcome to another edition of NBA Today, Hoopball Presentation. I'm your host, as always, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Make sure to check out those aforementioned fine folks of Hoopball on Twitter at Hoopball Tweets, online hoop-ball.com. I'll say it one more time, hoop-ball.com. They have a lot of good stuff going on right now, including the Hoopball 360, which is everything you need to level up this fantasy basketball season. Got the Fantasy Pass, the DFS Pass, the Wager Pass. Got the early access to the best 150 list out there, the Brewski 150. And you get the Hoopball VIP, exclusive shows, great content with our uh, fantasy experts. So make sure to check that out. You can look that again, hoop-ball.com, or on Twitter as well, at HoopballFantasy. But today, we're going to talk some preseason, because you know what, it is that time. We also got some uh, Grizzlies talks, and and for that, I got my friend uh, Ethan Becker on. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter, at RealEthanBecker general NBA writer, but he is a contributor of Hoops Habit, specialized on the Wolves, the Spurs, and of course the Grizzlies. So uh, let's get to it, Ethan. How you doing, man? Not too bad, man. How are you? You know, I really can't complain. Uh, I mean, here I go. I hate when people say I really can't complain, and then they start with a complaint, but that was just <laughs> about to be me. I really can't complain. You know, my throat kind of itchy, and you know, wish I remember to get myself that early morning milkshake. No, I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> I'm doing good. I mean, I'm ready for the season to start. Preseason is Never really my thing. I mean, it is more of my thing this year because, I mean, it's such a short preseason that I feel like yeah. the coaches and players have no choice but to show, you know, some of their hand, try out some of their lineups. Like, you have to really use this as more than a glorified um exhibition tour. But mm-hmm. with that being said, when I watch preseason, it just makes me ache for the real season. Good news being that we got, what, a week, a week until we have that start? A week and a day and a half or something? So I'm excited yeah. about that. But, um. Well, let, let's get to you. Let, let's talk about this preseason here. What are you hyped about? How do you feel about preseason, first of all, as, as a general rule? Yeah, so I think uh, for me, the preseason, it's not nothing, right? Like I've heard people say that, oh, it's nothing. It's pointless, right? Mm-hmm. It's not nothing, I think, especially for basketball and hockey, right? Those are Those are two sports that, the preseason is really important for because those are really the only sports where depth and rotation actually have a big difference on the game to game situation, right? Yeah. You know, if you're a, if you're a backup quarterback in the NFL, you're probably not going to play in the regular season unless, you know, your starter gets injured or your team isn't doing so well or something like that. Right. But if you're a backup point guard in the NBA, you're probably going to get, you know, maybe 15 minutes a game, right? And so being able to see the depth, how deep a team is, and figuring out the rotations before the regular season starts, it can be very important. As for, like, how important is it for deciding who's actually going to be good this year? I have my doubts as to, like, those who perform well in the preseason perform well in the regular season. but. Mm You know, we'll see. I, I'm right there with you on that, especially since, you know, 
that you get some flashy assists, some good plays. And you're like, hey, this is fun, but this doesn't even show in the yeah. official like uh, 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 records uh, sheet as far as like, oh wow, you know, he's already got all-time leader in preseason assists. Like that's not even a thing. So you're right, it's not a whole lot to take away from, even though you know you'll see some nice plays here and there. Um, and kind of let's let's get into that. I mean, I've watched a few games, so you know, being a Lakers fan at heart. I checked out um, the Lakers Clippers game. Really not a whole lot to see there. And I don't really think there ever really is. It's a lot of sloppy play, but I think some of the fun is seeing, you know, uh, different guys in, in new duds or new dudes in a different in different clothes. So you had Montrezl and Dennis Schroeder, how they played. I looked at uh, some Minnesota. I checked out some San Antonio, you know, glanced at some, some Lamamelo. And what I really got to say, like my first, I guess, positive, I like, and this is in Minnesota, I like that Ricky Rubio is back with Minnesota. Yeah. I yep, didn't think too. I would, but I do. Rubio, for me, should be our starter because his game pairs very nicely with Russell's. <clears throat> mm. Right? So Beasley and Russell are both kind of these offensive firepowers, you know, can go off for 20-some points have these great shooting nights. They didn't exactly have great shooting nights uh, last night, but you know <laughs> no. they're, they're capable of doing it, whereas Rubio is much more of a facilitator, a perimeter defender, right? And so his game really complements Russell's. And, you know, I, I wrote something recently saying that he was a lock for the starting rotation, and that got a little bit of controversy, but uh, oh, okay. I, just, I just feel like his game compliments Russell's better for what we need. You know what? I have to agree. And it's, I mean, at first, here's my thing. For Rubio, I've always been concerned about his shooting, even though, I mean, he did yeah. shoot a career-high 36% from three last year um, with Phoenix on some pretty good volume. But I, that's the one thing I look at. But just seeing someone who is just a – I mean, D'Angelo Russell, no disrespect on him as a playmaker. The guy can pass. But just seeing Rubio in that innate ability that he has to get everyone involved in the way that he does. I mean, he had a great play driving down the middle of the floor and then like holding the ball for like just a split second before dropping it to a cutting. I think it was a Koji running baseline. Um, and it was just plays like that. That's like, I saw it happening as it happened. And I got to say, I don't know if, I mean, Russell can make that pass. He can, I just don't know if consistently he would where Rubio brings some more balance there. And you're right. You could easily put, you know, play this two-point guard front or two-guard front and have Russell be more of the scoring-minded two. Um, only thing I wonder there is is maybe just the bounce off the bench. Are you then looking at Jordan McLaughlin a lot more as the first guy off the bench? Is he going to get more run that way? Um, who's your natural playmaker there? Because unless you're staggering those, those two minutes, you know, you're going to have some time when are you going to turn the offense to Jared Culver? You're going to give it to, you know, Edwards and Malik Beasley, you know, run the second unit. That's kind of not their game. Like, that would be my one concern, you know? But... I, I really did enjoy seeing the Timberwolves. They're one of the teams I was interested in this offseason. Yeah, and that's that's one of the – I feel like one of the next steps that they need to take is they need to find a backup uh, small forward, a backup three, because that will allow Edwards I'm, – I'm assuming Edwards starts off the bench and Akogi gets to start, but I'm, I might be wrong there. Uh but if they if they get that backup three, that allows Edwards to kind of shift up to the two guard spot, mm -hmm. and Edwards has a lot of experience running an offense because he was the only shooter on his Georgia team last season. True, true, 
True. I'm with you on that. I mean, it's go- I, I like the fact that Minnesota has a lot of different weapons on the offensive end, and they seem like they're totally, with the exception of maybe Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, committing to that end. You know, because, um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be between Edwards, Beasley, Russell, Towns, you know, all offense most of the time. So we'll have to see how that works. But um, let me toss it to you. Uh, what's a team or, or a player you've seen so far in the early preseason action that you've enjoyed, Ethan? Well, <laughs> so... One one team that I noticed and that I felt like I had to bring up was okay. did you see that did you see that Thunder game? Yes, I did watch a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they looked Thunder Spurs. Yeah, yeah, against the Spurs and they looked dominant in that game. Uh, one thing I pulled while I was looking at the stats for that game, mm-hmm. the Thunder were one made free field goal away from shooting 50-50-90 as a team. Whoa, really now? Yeah. They, they were, their field goals were 43 for uh, for 88. And yeah, they shot 50% from three, 90% from the line. That's crazy. And yeah, and that that's a really good, that, <clears throat> I mean, that's a great line, but it, it also doesn't help that the Spurs... <laughs> Occasionally, the Spurs will give up on defense, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't the mono Duncan, you know, Spurs of old. This is the kind of rebuilding the new Spurs, still trying to find their identity. They're not hor- they're not horrible in defense, uh, and they're top ten in the league in contested shots. But when it comes to their hustle plays, you know, they're twentieth in the league in loose balls recovered and 24th in defensive rating. And so sometimes on that end, they'll just kind of give up and they'll stop working. And that can really hurt when you have a team who can shoot so well. Yeah, it definitely is different that way when you don't have that same type of core, those same defensive tenants that were in place from, you know, the, the glory days of, like you said, you know, uh, Duncan, Parker, Ginobili, those guys. And it is a different regime. A lot younger players that don't kind of have that frank commitment to defense that they did back, you know? Yeah. So and, I'm with you there. Uh-huh. And another team, just speaking of defense, that looked spectacular on defense. And this is a team I did not think I would be praising this early in the offseason. But the magic, the magic looked really good against the Hawks. Mm-hmm. They... True. Their front court, really, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they ended up with 10 steals, 8 blocks, and 23 forced tur- turnovers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I knew they were active. And, I mean, obviously, you know, the noise with the preseason is the thing. But the fact that they were at least as active as they were, more or less utilizing that length and everything, that's awesome. Yeah. And so they look really nice. I know I know we're not supposed to overreact to preseason games. But they say it all the time. That's the one rule, yeah. Ethan. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I get caught up in the hype every every year I get caught up in the hype, man. And I think I think defense is one of those things that you can really look at in a preseason game and if they're really trying on defense in the preseason, mm-hmm. that's going to be a good indicator of how they're gonna play in the regular season. So I don't, think it's react- I don't think it's overreacting to say that the Magic are going to be a lot bigger of a threat this year than they were last year. 
I mean, they better be, I think, in this. I mean, here's the thing. When you look at where they're at now, you know, obviously you're not going to have the services of Jonathan Isaac. You know, you have a lot to decide with the future of Markel Fultz. You're in an Eastern Conference that, like, the top six are pretty set. You know, like, in terms of how they fall, okay, fine. But, like, we kind of know where they'll be. So all of a sudden, you're you're kind of, if if you're Orlando, finding yourself, you know, a, among the weeds with a, with a Washington, with an Atlanta, these upstart teams that could make a play and make things dangerous. But you should more or less have a lock if you come out and take control, you know, early and hold through. Because you don't want to be calling that last couple spots. It's not going to be like it was last year where it was such a gap between the Magic and the Wizards that, you know, the Magic were, were home free. You may may find yourself in a playing game, and I don't know if you want to be doing that if you're Orlando, you know? Yeah, exactly. I was going to say they have a better shot at making the postseason this season because of the playing game. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, exactly. And so but the thing about those, you know, all it takes is, uh, especially when it's a one-game type thing, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a bad injury, a, a rough shooting night, you know, you put a lot more variance into play, then you find yourself on the outside looking in when if you take care of business early, you know, you probably wouldn't have been in that situation, especially, like you said, in a conference that's no longer, I don't want to say no longer a joke, because it wasn't exactly a joke, but, like, it's no longer as top-heavy as it was. That's a better way of saying it, you know? Yeah, it's a lot more competitive than it has been in the recent past. (laughs) Most definitely. All right, so speaking of, you know, you said defense and and how you can buy into defense, something that's more of a transferable type of skill that you can look at, that you could take from, you know, here to, um, you know, the future in terms of how you evaluate players in the regular season. So my question is, what did you think about Isaac Okoro last, I mean, last night? Oh, or two nights ago. Yeah. I I have, I have to admit the only game I watched last night was that, uh, game. Oh, Oh, listen, it is fine. I didn't mean to throw, I'll share a little bit on it. I didn't mean to throw it out there. Like you, you know, catching everything. My bad. Well, basically, I mean, Isaac Okoro had 16 points played pretty good defense in fact it was his last second contest on a shot and run out for a layup just before the buzzer that gave the Cavs the win and so obviously oh. everyone's talking about you know his, his, his hustle obviously 16 points were good you know taking over offensively in that way but I was really impressed with the defense that he showed and I guess a question to, to kind of do an audible there what did you think as far as how his defense would be transferable into the league from what you saw about him you know scouting and everything uh, during the draft you know, that's it's kind of a hard thing to predict because the the NBA game is so it it's so much more advanced than college, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, but one thing that I always like to see in a defensive player is their one thing is their hustle, so to see how hard they're working throughout the entire game. If you watch the Rockets game, uh, there's this guy on there. I I don't know his first name, but his his last name is Tate, right? He, yeah, he got, yeah. Uh-huh. He got started in that Rockets game, and if you watched him, he was fighting for every single rebound. Every time a shot went up, he was going into the paint. He was trying to get in there. And so seeing that from a young guy is really interesting. I just pulled up uh, a core of stats here from his one year in Auburn. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, certainly when you look at, I mean, uh, 
0.9 blocks and 0.9 steals a game, right? And that's if a player in the NBA does that, that's that's really good because you know most of the time you're only averaging one block a game, and if you're a forward, maybe you're getting a steal a game, right? You're not really in the position to get steals, but true. Again, I want I wonder about how it will translate over because you know at six six he's certainly not the biggest prospect in the draft and he's not the he's not going to be the biggest player on the court or at his position at any given time right mm-hmm. and so I see what you're saying. yeah yeah and so I'm I'm hopeful for it because defense is one of those things that it it's much more of a mentality than it is a skill set mm-hmm. and. So, it's harder to see a big dip in defense because it it's not so much something that can be taught as something that has to be learned, right? Great defense like that. But I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm not one of those guys that thinks like, Oh, somebody's going to, a rookie is going to come into the NBA and be one of the top you defenders. Know, in any well, in any category. oh, in anything, yeah, yeah, best scores. I mean, it's not right. like KD in two thousand nine, right? Exactly. Right. Or mm-hmm. and and one thing, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later. But with John Morant, he kind of broke that that expectation, right? Because he was he he did place like top ten and top one hundred in a couple of areas for the NBA, and that's really good positioning for a rookie to be in. Yeah. Yeah, it is different, especially when a lot of that responsibility, whether, you know, it's implied or inherently laid out, is put upon you, you know? Uh-huh. So yeah. I'm right there with you on that. Uh-huh. I think the Cavs are the best place for him to be because I think the Cavs aren't going to be doing very good this year. You know, they're probably going to be looking to move Drummond and move Love, right? And so he's probably going to get a lot of time on the court to develop that style. So as far as like where would be best for him to be right now, I think Cleveland is a good place for him. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a spot where, you know, I mean, Lord knows they need that defensive help uh, with the personnel that they mostly deploy out there. But also, yeah, it's a spot where you can kind of come in, you know, build out, you have a few uh, forwards you're going to be fighting with for spots with alongside, you know, Dylan Windler and uh, Kevin Porter Jr., but you'll get your time for sure. Um, and, yeah, just, just kind of growing that defensive acumen, continue to maintain that, maybe work on building out his offensive game. I, I agree. It's a perfect situation for him for where he is as a player right now. Yeah. But um, let, let's talk. We t- you mentioned Jay Sean Tate um, from Houston. Let, let's talk about Houston real quick. I mean, a lot of buzz was made, obviously, with that trade. You know, John Wall for Russell Westbrook. How are the Rockets going to look? The shenanigans with James Harden. What the heck he's doing? Does he want to stick around? The answer is probably no. Well, it's most definitely no. But, but like, okay, looking from that to the actual product on the floor, we got our first look at John Wall in two years, our first look at uh, DeMarcus Cousins in over a year. What did you think about what we saw from the Rockets in general, but those two guys specifically? Yeah, well, I <laughs> I watched that game, and I asked on Twitter if the Rockets even needed Harden. Right? Oh, wow. <laughs> They they looked fantastic, right? I I actually uh, did a combined stat poll for Wall and Boogie, and uh, those two combined to go 11 for 17 from the field 
and four for seven from three-point range. Wow. And so they were shooting really well. And my my main concern with Wall is how does he pair with Harden, right? Because you saw it in that in that game. Wall is a very ball-heavy guard. He, yes. he needs the ball in his hands to play his style of game, right? There are some... There's some guards who don't need to do that, but Wall is definitely somebody who needs the ball in his hands. And so to see how he'll pair with Harden, who is also obviously, you know, a very ball-heavy guy, right? You know, the, mm-hmm. the joke about the Rockets has always been give it to Harden for 20 seconds and then put up a shot, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and so that's kind of the same. It The trade really confused me in that era because... Westbrook is also like a ball heavy kind of guy. Uh, and so their games didn't really mesh. Uh, mm-hmm. Westbrook Hardens, that is. And so then to trade him for Wall was a very confusing, like, I I guess I could see it because you kind of want, you don't want to give up Westbrook for nothing. Yeah. But to get Wall, who's also going to need to have the ball in his hands. Is it, it was very kind of confusing to me, and so I think, as as harsh as harsh as this sounds, right? I think the longer Harden is out from the Rockets, the better the Rockets will do. Ooh, wow! Hot take train over here. I like it. I like it. Okay, I, I feel you. Uh-huh. Harden has been the problem over the last few years, right? He he said he liked Chris Paul, and then he wanted Chris Paul gone. He wanted to play with Westbrook, and then their games didn't match, and so he wanted Westbrook gone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, True. The one denominator, I mean, it's obvious. Yeah, right. When you look at, and and I, I hate to bring this up, right, because it feels like the most tried take ever, but look at Harden's performance in the postseason, right? It There is a significant drop from the postseason, or from the regular season Harden, rather, mm-hmm. the postseason Harden. And so he has seemed, he seems like he's kind of, he seems like he doesn't realize that he's the problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not, I, I think it's that blissful uh, ignorance, if you will. Yeah. And, and that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I don't think anybody would ever be willing to admit that they're the problem, but uh yeah, and so that's kind of why I say that the longer he's out, because if you look at this starting lineup, and we're going to assume instead of uh, Tate that they're going to put Tucker in there, right? If you, But if you look at the Rockets starting lineup of John Wall, Eric Gordon, uh, Daniel House Jr., P.J. Tucker, and DeMarcus Cousins, that's not a horrible five starting five, right? Like, that's not... That might be a playoff team, right? Depending on how those guys play. True, true. I, it's, it's very possible. I mean, it, it, again, it's a stacked, but all both conferences I think greatly improved. So I don't know if you're gonna have those like, oh, you know, on the fence type groups. You have to defensively think, hey, there's enough talent here, and I think that there is, at least at the top. A lot of it just goes down to health, and you're relying. You, you know, you're you're putting your eggs in a basket that has been uh, pretty inconsistent lately. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially with John Wall. <laughs> Exactly. So that's why I'm a little, I don't know, that's why I'm a little um, concerned on that. Wasn't the injury that kept him out, because it was 
the ACL, right, that has kept him out for this mm-hmm. last year. And wasn't that picked up at his home while he was recovering from another injury? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, apparently slipped in the shower and that happened, yes. Oh, I mean, that's horrible, but... A major bummer, yeah. Yeah. And... But yeah, you're... I I certainly concede to you on on the point that, especially with Wall and Cousins, you are putting your eggs in a basket that has been uh, liable to breaking in in the past couple of years. It's insane. It's insane. I just, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's something else. Um, and what's and what's and what I'm I guess worried about is, I'm not sure how. Okay, so you look at Walt. We look at his style. You already said his style. While his usage is not as astronomically high as Russell's was, this is a guy coming off an injury for two years that we don't know how he'll play, but we do know he likes to control the ball. A lot of it, I think, is going to come down to how we see Harden in his first preseason game, you know. And I could be at what tomorrow, I think. Tonight, I I forget the schedule. So I just I don't think I don't think Harden will play in a preseason game because he has to return six straight days of negative tests. And I, mm-hmm. I well, I think I they said he should. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I just said I thought that took him out of the preseason. Um, I think it was in terms of how I think it was in terms of how they um how they went how they um did the task. I think it was it's it's weird. I'm not gonna pretend to be the person who know, who knew it, but I saw on Twitter that they talked about it being possible that he could play. So I'm not sure as far as the math on. I gotta figure that out. But um, yeah. I guess it was so definitely in play, and that's what had me interested. You know. So the Rockets play tonight, Sunday night against mm-hmm. the Bulls. Uh, it's probably likely that he won't play for that. That's a pretty quick turnaround. Okay. He take the Tuesday game against the Spurs. You would take that? I If that's the game that he... If, if he's going to come back for a game, I think that's probably the game he would come back. Otherwise, they have a game against the Spurs on Thursday, too. Yeah, it'd be, it, it, you're right. It'd probably have to be one of those. Cause I think they're still doing it during these days, you know, even even with the, the off days or whatever. Um, yeah. And if that's the case, I definitely think it's a possibility, you know? Yeah. I would expect him to make his return for the regular season. I think he's going to wait. Uh, if If I was him, just to... If I was him just to get a little more of that publicity, mm-hmm. I would wait. I believe they play on the day after Christmas. Let me look at this here. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to yep. remember where they start off with. Uh huh. Yep. So they face uh, the 23rd, they play the Thunder, and then they don't play again until the 26th. And if I'm Harden, I would maybe sit out that first game. Just to show, because if I'm betting that the team needs me, then I'm hoping that a loss to the Thunder would show that no, I am like an important player, right? I personally, I personally wouldn't do it, but if I was hardened, I I could see that happening. Okay, but is the end result in this case for him to force a trade? Then, like, like I get his importance. Yeah. Obviously, Houston knows because they don't want to let go of the guy. But in terms of yeah. His overall, okay, this is what we need. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm more worried about. Like, how 
are they going to be able to communicate that to how is he going to be able to communicate from management after this little show that he did already about how <laughs> he's going to want to leave, you know? Well, I think this that's a, I mean, we see holdouts in the NFL all the time, and I know uh, Steven Silas has been hesitant to call this a holdout, right? But that's what this is, right? He, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to be in his contract anymore. He's holding out for a different team. And I think sitting out that first game to show that, no, I am the biggest, uh, the biggest star on this team, it doesn't change any mentality in the Rockets organization because the Rockets likely already know that, but it might change the conversations uh, that surrounds him by the fans, right? And by maybe even some executives on other teams, right? How he's portrayed, yeah. Yeah, and so if he if he plays that first game, he's at risk of taking a back seat to Wall. But if he if he waits that first game and if they lose it, which they probably won't, just looking at the Thunder's roster anyways, but if they do lose and he doesn't play that first game and then he comes back for the Trailblazers and they beat the Blazers, that could change the narrative around him as being, you know, maybe a secondary player to Wall. That makes a lot of sense. I guess my one question then is how from the team aspect. I mean, it can't feel good for Wall and Cousins and, and new coach Steven Silas as well to be around this situation and go, okay, you know, relying on him, he's buying in, we just talked to him this day, that day, the other day, and then he does a stunt like this. If he ultimately ends up having to play for Houston, I don't know if the morale is as high. And I, again, in a Western Conference that you can't really be playing around, I don't know if that's a death knell, but it definitely isn't a, a, a great start. I don't think the morale is high right now anyways with the stuff that he's been doing already right like you can't say that you can't say that you want to play with wall and then skip training camps for a vegas club right you can't do that. i mean i know i know that harden has a history of partying right but there's got to be some connection there in between he wants out and he didn't show up to training camp, right? I don't think that's just a coincidence. I see what you're saying. Like, it's already strained is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's already not a great relationship. I mean, if you looked at, if you looked at Wall's promotional picture for the Rockets, he already looked kind of like the realization of the reality that he was in was hitting him, right? Yeah, he, he wasn't smiley and happy like Westbrook was in his picture Dude, for the Wizards. True, it's it's definitely a lot more of a grim outlook, like understanding, okay, this is it, you know. Yeah. I, I again, I, I guess there's a lot of questions there that are mean to be seen in terms of how it's going to look, but I'm with you. It's going to be interesting. It's one of the teams I'm definitely watching, and I accidentally just drafted John Wall a couple hours ago, which I did not want to do on a fantasy league I am in, so uh, I'm going to be hoping for his health now. <laughs> I think I did, too. Oh, goodness. I don't it remember. Is... How... Yeah. I, I, I might mean, again, Yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for good health from the guy. I really am. You know what I mean? That yeah. That's the goal. But, you know, I... Oh, man, I'm just... Whew, we'll see. We'll see. But let's keep it... Let's keep moving. Uh, let's talk about Charlotte a little bit. Um, LaMelo Ball... You know, given that just horrendously expensive contract to Gordon Hayward, 
What do you think about Charlotte in general? I mean, I watched their preseason game. I mean, they lost, but LaMelo had some nice flashy passes. Miles, uh, I'm t- starting to get mixed up here. Uh, Miles Bridges looked uh, amazing in transition. You know, it, it wasn't that bad. Uh, Gordon Hayward had his moments. Uh, what do you think about, first, the moves in general, and then, I guess, uh, early observations? So, as, as far as the moves go, right, I can't remember who I heard this from. It might have been on the Bill Simmons podcast, but somebody brought up the problem with Jordan trying to make all these moves for Charlotte, right? And yeah, exactly. The The problem is that when, when you're a player of Jordan's caliber, mm-hmm. you don't need a second player, right? When you're a Michael Jordan, when you're a LeBron James, you're good enough to get your team to the playoffs. Yeah, off the top. Like, Harden is already a 45-win player. Right, exactly. But the problem is, and and so the problem is, Jordan has a lot of expertise in scouting uh, supplementary players, right? Players who aren't going to get you to the playoffs, but are good for pairing with a superstar. The problem is he he doesn't have that superstar, Mm-hmm. Right, like almost inarguably the best player that is on that roster right now is Gordon Hayward. Yeah, and he's he's not like you were saying he's not a forty-five win guy. He's you know he he might get you twenty, uh-huh. but exactly he's not pushing the needle that high. Yeah, he's not getting you to the playoffs on his own, and so yeah, I I think <laughs> I think the Hornets are suffering from uh, something that I, I coined a few years ago. It was Nick's derangement syndrome, which is <laughs> which is this idea that and and it's all it was all James Dolan's fault, right? It's this idea that you don't need to rebuild; you just need to add a couple pieces here retool, and then retool, retool, right. Right, you retool, you you reshape, but you're not you're not doing a rebuild. That's certainly not what you're doing. Absolutely not. So, <laughs> and so I I wish the Hornets are one of those teams that I wish they would just kind of pull what the Thunder did this offseason. They give away all of their tradable assets, get a bunch of picks back, and they just say, All right, we're starting new. Uh mm-hmm. but you know, Certainly, <laughs> Hayward's Hayward's contract was the one that confused me the most, right? I I understood the Lamelo Ball signing. Uh, I was ha- or rather the right the drafting of him, right? I was yeah, happy. I, mean, uh-huh. I I will say I was happy that it didn't that Minnesota didn't draft him. Uh, <laughs> same same. Not gonna lie, was not a fan of that pit fit, especially once Rubio came. Yeah, I was not uh yeah, cuz we're already super guard heavy right now. Exactly. Uh and so I was I was quite happy with the Edwards drafting, but I I I'm not one of those guys that's like, "Oh, why did he go so high?" You know, he he showed a lot of promise in his uh overseas league, but let me pull up here uh his stats. Yeah. And so he he had four assists, right? He's a really nice facilitator. Except the problem is he played for 16 minutes and went zero for five from the field. Yeah, uh, that's not, not going to do it. 
no, that's not going to do it. Right. And, you know, I had the same issue with watching Anthony Edwards last season, or rather last night, because Edwards went two for nine from the field, right? And Edwards and Ball are both these players who like to shoot their way out of a rut, right? Yeah. And for some players, you can do that, right? If Curry goes into a little bit of a shooting rut, he can shoot his way out of it because he's one of, if not the best scorer of all time, right? Mm -hmm. But LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards aren't at that level yet. And so to see, you know, like zero for five, that is, that is obviously very bad (laughs) for Charlotte to have have any went over three, I believe, from the... Uh, from three-point range, right? Yeah, including one that was, like, a four-pointer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was about to say one that was, like, looked, like, ten feet beyond the arc just did not take that shot. And so I think that's one of the things. I mean, you look at the starting lineup that Charlotte ran. They ran Terry Rozier, either Graham Hayward, Washington, and Zeller, right? There's not really a there's not really like a super lights out shooter there. Hayward is a good shooter and he went uh four for eight from the field, right? One for two from three. Mm-hmm. But there's not somebody who like I was saying, there's not that guy, that one dude that you go, okay, you can shoot huh? And maybe this off season they'll get that guy, but I don't think it's likely. I think they're probably going to have to develop that guy, right? And whether that's going to be Rogier, who I think has the potential to be that guy, right? Uh, or LaMelo Ball or somebody else, right? Maybe they get a... They'll... I uh, pick in this year's draft, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe they can draft... You know, if they're looking for that guy, maybe they can draft that guy this year. But I just don't see it happening this year for Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, it's not something that's uh, that's heavy on my mind. It's something that's going to happen either. It's definitely a, a rebuilding year. And the contention, if you're, if you're saying that that money was worth bringing Gordon Hayward a year early, obviously, you know, free agency and everything, but paying them that much, you're already basically kicking a, a year off the road because they're not going to be a, comp- a competitor this year. Like, if Charlotte thought that they were, then... I don't tell them. You know what I mean? So you're going to really hit your wagon to age 31, Gordon Hayward, 31 going on 32. Hope that another year maturation for LaMelo Ball and Devontae Graham, he's still around, and, and Terry Rozier will do that. I, I don't know. It's just – I just don't see the fit for that in, in any universe. Yeah. No, they're they're going to have to make a couple moves before they are considered for any sort of positioning, especially right now – when, again, they're kind of without that top-level superstar that almost every team has right now. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And that's true. And that's true. It's gonna. It remains to be seen how this is going to look. But I'm, I'm intrigued by, by, by Charlotte. And I don't know. I think just NBA franchise mismanagement is always appealing to me, not because you want to see it, and especially not if it's my team, but just in terms of what could possibly be going through their mind when these moves are made. You know, what are they thinking that 
the zigging while the rest of the collective NBA media is zagging will actually have positive results. So that's going to be interesting. But um, let, let's go one more time. Ethan, you have any last like uh, preseason takeaways before we go into the Grizz? Um, you know, I just one one thing that I noticed if I can harp on my Timberwolves for a little bit let's is get it. I I don't know. Uh, I, it's not that I don't know. That starting lineup that they're in will not work. And I don't know if they just ran it because of injury or if they were trying to test Jake Lehman out or what. But the lineup that they ran last night was Russell Beasley, Akogi, Lehman, and Towns. And that would leave Rubio, and it would leave Davis, and it would leave uh, Hernan Gomez all on the bench. And it, and while that might bode well for your secondary, that's going to be – that's not a good starting lineup, right? And looking at Beasley, right, Beasley has the fourth highest guarantee of this year on the team, and he's, he got that massive contract, right? It's four-year, $60 million contract. And early, too. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's had some of those off-court problems, which I've gone into in some of my – pieces on the Timberwolves, right? And he shot one, yeah. Yeah, and he went four for 11 from the field, two for six from three, uh, three assists, no steals, and two turnovers, right? And that's that's another thing that's just not going to get it done, right? And if they are going to put him in the starting lineup, if they are going to put him next to Russell, he's got to shoot better. He needs to step up, right? Yeah. I liked what he's competing defensively. I like that he definitely put yeah. a lot more muscle in that way. So yeah. his frame is a lot stronger. He was a lot. He was a little bit more slight um, last season. So I definitely see the improvement on there, and I, I applaud him on that. But you're right. Like you, you, there's, there's, and and you need to have some more defensive acumen with the lineups mm-hmm. that you're going to be a part of because that's not obviously where the Wolves will will, will be. Um, they're going to struggle from there this year. Let's just not sure because it's going to happen. So with that being the case, I'm glad he did that. But on the offensive and yeah, and again, it's weird because on the one hand. It's preseason, right? You know, we don't want to over over leap. But at the same time, on the other hand, like you, you've been around for a bit, bro. You're you're more to, to the experienced kind of player than you are a rookie or a second year pro. Yeah, and he and he was hyped to play that game, right? I don't know if you saw the pregame warmups, but he like jumped up on the rim, hung on the rim, pulled him, did a pull up right, and screamed mm-hmm. the whole time. And so, wow. and then did he, two for six from three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Field two for six for three, right? And so I understand that you know a pressing legal case and a probable divorce will probably weigh on somebody's mind. Yeah. And so I don't want to be too harsh on him this game, and it's the same reason that I don't I give Towns a pass in this game because of all the. Oh tragedy. my gosh, I feel so bad for him. Yeah. Yeah, I I have no expectations for him, right? If if he doesn't have the type of season that he's normally have, I totally understand it, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, but you need to learn for Beasley. It's you need to understand that everything that you're going through, you know, it's a different situation than Towns because everything that Beasley's going through, Beasley brought on himself. Yeah, self-inflicted injuries are totally different, and that's something that he he made his bed, and this is the part we have to lie in it. So I'm definitely with you. I mean, you never wish that sort of type of situation to happen to anyone involved, families, you know, all that sort of extenuating circumstances and how that reaches far beyond the person in question. 
But for that person in question, that that's kind of on them. So I'm with you on that. Whereas someone like Cat, who you know, this is just an unfortunate tragedy, didn't do anything for it, and 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 and, and you just wish nothing but the best. But it, it, it's something that it's not just going to go away. You don't just wake up and go away. And for those who you know forget that basketball players are actual people, it's like, oh, oh, well now basketball's back. I'm good. That's not how that works at all. No, and he said he even said that like normally basketball is very therapeutic for him, and he said it's just not going to be like that this year because. You know, his mother came to almost all of his games, right? You know, you almost always saw her at a Timberwolves home game. Mm-hmm. And so and so to have, you know, not only to have lost his mother, but then to have lost seven other members of his family all to the coronavirus, it's, it's such a hard thing for somebody to deal with in such a short amount of time. Exactly, exactly. It just, your heart goes out to him. And his family and just the incredible pain they used to deal with and go through because that's is just tremendously, tremendously, tremendously tragic, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's absolutely horrendous that he had to deal with that. Definitely. Wow. Well, I mean, I guess on that note, we you have any uh, last uh, Timberwolves takes or you want to throw it over to Memphis and, and get started on them? You know, just just the one quick thing that I wanted to mention before we get into the Grizzlies is on that Clippers game. The Clippers needed to step up to win that one. They absolutely needed to win that one. And the fact that they lost, I know it's preseason. I know we're not supposed to take a ton away from preseason, but that does not look good for the Clippers, right? The Lakers sat Davis and James, and you had Leonard and George out to start the game. You needed to win that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least to have a good start. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So we'll have to see how they go. I'm going to have to have you back on talking Minnesota, I see. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> hey, it's going to happen. Let's book it. But um, let's go over to uh, – let's talk about Memphis right now, kind of get into sure. what they've done. They've had a, an interesting season last year, you know, playoff bound, faded down the stretch, lost the playing game to Portland. Uh, they had some unfortunate injuries along the way, Jaron Jackson Jr., but they were already fading before that. So I hate to bring that up as if that's, like, a valid excuse for – you know, them not making it. Bottom line, they were just a real young team, and, you know, that happens. But l- let's start off with asking you about the, the coaching staff in the front office. Uh, Taylor Jenkins at the helm, the the, coach, the front office around that. What what do you feel about them in general? I I really, really like these the staff in the front office that the Grizzlies have right now. Uh, they, they showed their ability to sort of – revitalized players, right? If you looked at what the Grizzlies did for Dylan Brooks, at least before he got his extension, if you looked at what they did with Josh Jackson, they have this ability to, and and I don't know what it is, if it's quite the system or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Sorry. No, no problem. All right, sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and so I don't know if it's the system that they have, the culture that they have, or or what, but they have this this great ability to give players a new life. And they also, the front office has done a very good job building a good team, right? Not just getting the best players that they can get, but actually putting players together who complement each other. And so I'm really uh, I, I'm really excited for this 
front office. I think Taylor Jenkins, uh, I believe this is his first NBA coaching job, but he did have a lot of success in the G League. And I believe he comes from uh, Budenholzer's camp. And so certainly a lot of experience there and a lot of ability to bring what worked in uh, with Budenholzer's system over to Memphis. Yeah, you think it's something that's transferable there? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I'm with you on that. I do like the fact that the front office did, you know, surround the, the grids with a lot of youth. You know, you got a few guys who've been around a little bit, but a lot of guys who can kind of grow together. Um, yeah. You know, bringing back Anthony Mountain, guys like that. I'm really excited about that. But let's kind of get to their offseason specifically. What did you like um, and about what the Grizzlies did? Well, you know, the Grizzlies stayed kind of quiet this offseason, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that they made a move to get into the first round because the Grizzlies were – they did not have a first-round pick this draft. And so I like that they made a move to get into the first round. I like that they wanted to get a – first round draft pick obviously the Grizzlies have uh have had a lot of luck in recent past with trading in the first round because last season they traded I believe it was the 20 for the 21st pick for Brandon Clark right true and he became a you know all rookie kind of guy right yeah and so but I also I really liked the Grizzlies offseason because they didn't try to tinker with what worked, right? There were a couple moves that I I didn't like only for sentimental reasons, right? I really wish they'd have tried to keep Josh Jackson. Uh but that's about it, right? And I also understand why why they they didn't, because they're trying to save all the money they can for when Jaron Jackson Jr.'s contract comes up and when John Moran's contract comes up and when Brandon Clark's contract comes up, because those guys look right now to be the future of this team. And so I think for Memphis having as quiet of an offseason as they did was really, really helpful for them. True. I, I get what you're saying there. And, 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 and you're right. It's, it's different in the way that they were able to assemble that around them, you yeah. know, so. Yeah, that that's yeah. solid. Um, any dislikes? Uh, you know, I I maybe wish they would have tried to bring in a veteran, right? Because I know they have Jones Valanciunas on the team right now, yeah, and he's he been around a minute. He's a good veteran presence to have, but Just having that sort, of, that sort of if you look at Kevin Garnett with his second run with the Timberwolves, where he was really paid to be a mentor to the young guys, right? Bringing in somebody like that would have been really helpful to a locker room that's really, really young, right? I think last season they had the third youngest roster in the league. And so to be that young, it it can be very, it it, it can bring its own sort of problems, right? Of course. And uh, I get what you're saying because it's like that that all that youth is good if you're maybe playing 2K or something, but also you don't have anyone who's been there done that before when these big moments arise and they will, you know, if you're a successful team, then it won't work. It's almost like you mentioned that that KG Timberwolves just before that they were just a really really young squad that didn't have yeah. that and you had talent, you know, Zach Levine, Carl Anthony Towns, and and um Andrew Wiggins, but you didn't have that guy who'd been in the back room, Ricky Rubio too, um, but he wasn't quite that guy. 
and you're gonna have that guy who'd been around a lot more saying, "Hey, by the way, this is how we're supposed to handle ourselves." You know, just the the ways that keep you around the league for a long time. And, and KG, just aside from that, is a, a great mentor to have for young players because if if anybody is going to scare you into respecting this league, <laughs> you you picked the right one there. Yes, sir. It's gonna be Kevin Garnett, right? Like he. Uh, Oh, I can't remember if it was Mason or Miles Plumley who played with him on Brooklyn, right? I think it was Mason. Uh, but he has some great stories from his rookie year of Kevin Garnett, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He The legendary tales of what he's – I mean, it was funny. Keith Smith even had one um, that he yeah. shared on Twitter that I enjoyed. So it, it's true. Kev, KG, is a, he's a diff, he was a different kind of guy on the, in the league. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. All right, well, uh, let's get down to um, – Oh, we already talked about the dislikes and just in terms of wishing having more vets in the room, guys who've been around. But yeah. with that, we're going to do my favorite part. Um, let's do some superlatives. So looking at, you know, the Grizzlies, and, and some of these are pretty simple. Some of these might be a little more difficult. You're you're a pro, so I think you'll handle them all with, with grace here. But the best player on the Grizzlies roster, bar none, who is it? Jummerant. Has to be. And there's no, I mean, you, you put that over Jerry Jackson Jr. for sure. Is there even a thought process that goes there? No, not for me. Uh. Hold on, I left the stance that I was going to pull in another document here. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yeah, so last, this is John Morant's um, stats from last season. 17.8 points. He was 60th in the league. Or yeah. he was top in the league, rather. Yeah. Uh, 7.3 assists per game. He was top 10 in the league. 3.9 rebounds, 0.9 steals, 0.3 blocks. Shot 47% from the field, 33% from three, and 77% uh, from the line, right? True. Uh, that's solid. Yeah, that's really good. The one area that he could see improvement in certainly is his defense, right? Uh, but that's that's something that a lot of rookies struggle with, and so I'm not too concerned about that. But as far as looking both with the potential to be who he could be, right, who he could become, and with the play that he showed last season, yeah, for there's no question in my mind that the best player on that squad right now is John Morant. Okay, I mean, I'm right there with you. I just, I, from the outside looking in, I'm like, hey, Jerry Jackson was pretty solid, but I think John Morant, you, you clearly see, and even in the preseason, he played very well um, so far. So he, he's that guy for sure. As he grows, develops, you know, and gets a little better with outside shooting, that guy can definitely be a force. All right, so... uh. Who's the worst player receiving at least semi-significant minutes? And I used an example. When I first did this, I was like, who's the worst player on the roster? When I asked um, people about their teams, and they would normally bring up, you know, the guy at the end of the bench. And that's not to be disparaging, but just in terms of that guy. But I amended it to be the worst person receiving, you know, pretty decent minutes. Guys that are out on the floor, and you're like, wait, why, though? And so, yeah. with that being said, who is that guy for the Grizzlies? So, I am I got kind of caught up between two guys here. Mm-hmm. And... Anybody who followed my stuff <laughs> when I was at Beale Street Bears knows that <laughs> the the first name that I'm going to bring is DeAnthony Melton. Yeah, I was about to say I know. <laughs> that's the first guy. I I'm just not a huge fan of his game. He only shot 40% from the field. He shot 28% from three. Right. Mm. Not a. He, so he's not a huge scorer. He's he only got 7.6 points per game, uh, and so he's he's a good right. He can be a good rotation guy 
for sure. Mm-hmm. But he needs to bring that scoring efficiency up. He he needs to bring some of that some of that uh offensive oh, versatility. Yeah, yeah, some of the some of the versatility, some of the being able to be an option. And the other guy who I go back and forth on is Grayson Allen. Okay. Uh, Interesting. So, yeah. So Allen shot 46% from the field, shot 40% from three, which from the outside look like very good stats. Mm-hmm. The only problem is he's very hot and cold. He's very streaky, right? And so there are th- some games where he is on fire. He cannot be stopped. You've got to get the ball in his hands. And then there are other games where it's like, you have to keep the ball away from him. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there's no hope. Just get it away from his hands. Because he is going to play his game regardless of how he's playing. And a lot of time, and you saw this in the bubble too, right? He was one of the reasons that the Grizzlies struggled in the bubble so much because they relied on him so much. And he just could not get anything going. Yeah, it definitely wasn't his finest hour in the bubble. I mean, you could say that for a guy I thought you were going to bring up, and I'm going to throw him out there and see what you think, uh, Dylan Brooks. Okay, yep, I knew he was coming. Yeah. Uh, uh, Brooks, so Brooks is so, like, controversial to me, right? He's so divisive to me because he's this guy that you see in him, the ability to be this great, you know, probably third option when – uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant are on the floor, yeah. but also when he needs to step up, he he doesn't have that ability to step up to the level that he needs to be at, right? And I I pulled some numbers uh, from last game is that he went two for twelve from the field and went zero for three from th- the three point range, right? Wow, yeah. And he saw a significant drop off last season right after his extension. So uh, before his extension, you know, last season was his contract year. Before his extension, he was averaging 15.3 points uh, a game. After his extension, through the end of the, I'll say the regular season, right? This is not including the bubble. He averaged 11 points a game. And so, uh, and Brooks definitely struggled in the the bubble, right? And he was a large reason why the Grizzlies struggled in that play-in game because with everybody else out injured, they really needed him to step up and he wasn't able to. I I didn't put him as the worst player receiving significant minutes simply for the fact that Brooks is high when he is at his best is higher than Melton's and Allen's. I see what you're saying. Like at his like optimal prime like peak it's a better player than you would have melton yeah than melton or you would have an allen interesting yeah wow okay okay yeah. i mean i like melton because if his offensive game comes out like his defensive game there but if you're looking from like a physical profile as well yeah i guess you got to give it to dylan yeah i i just don't think i think as far as uh as far as like <laughs> let's go right? and the problem uh, is you you don't see it all that much right you don't see prime dylan brooks you don't see prime the anthony melton you don't see prime grayson allen and so it's hard to 
kind of compare them when you got to pick and choose like, oh, well, he was good in this game and he was good in this game, right? Uh, yeah. But I think ultimately there's a reason that Brooks is starting, right? Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, not just the that he got, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and he has, I mean, as a guy who can be, uh, hopefully an additional guy who could do side pick and rolls, someone who can create some offense, um, in a pinch. I mean, if he's not settling for tough contested mid-range shots and just crazy shots that are like a, a star would take or someone that he is not in the pecking order, then I think you see a good player in him. You know, someone who can, you know, be a dogged defender, someone who can use his, his frame in that way and also create some offense when a lot of attention is given to Ja and Jaron and can do something on the weak side more than just shoot, you know, put the ball on the floor and make a play. But when you don't see that, and you see a lot of what you saw in the bubble, then, then I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's his problem. He needs to work on his shot selection, right? He, yeah. he needs to make another pass or to try to make his own shot. He can't be, you know, throwing up three-pointers with a hand in his face because he can't make those. No, that's not his game. That's not what he does. Well, you're right. You said it perfectly. So I'm with you on that. But I, I like the, the nominations and the way we talk through that process as far as who is that guy. I'm but Melton will take it, but I'm looking at Brooks. All right, so I guess now we go back to either a Jaw or a Jaren here, but the player with the highest potential. <laughs> you, I I knew you were going to suspect Jaw Jaren, so I actually didn't include these guys on my list. Yeah, uh, really? I I think they're the... I, I like it. The, the cliched one. There are two guys that I'm actually really going to be watching this year as far as how they can move up from move up into that next level. And those two guys are Brandon Clark and Justice Winslow. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. I, All right. I, and those guys, because, and Clark, you know, last season he averaged 12 points, uh, six rebounds, 1.4 assists, 0.8 blocks and shot 62, 35 and 75. Right. Yeah. And so already showing huge strides, showing great, showing a great kind of feel for the game, right? And I think that's only going to keep going. As far as Winslow goes, you know, he hasn't, we haven't really seen enough from him to be able to judge, right? And obviously he hasn't played a single game in a Grizzlies uniform yet. Yeah. Uh, but what I, what I'm excited for about him is that he's not going to be the center point for the defense, right? He is, when when teams go up against us, they're going to be focusing on how do we stop Morant? How do we stop uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., right? And so Justice Winslow has the ability to kind of slide under a defense's radar, and he's a really good player when you looked at uh, his stats from the seasons he's been healthy so long as he can stay healthy. Yeah, like that that's what it really comes down to. And, and yeah. that's been the big factor, you know, first that back injury. Um I think he had the back injury in the bubble. Um cuz he was going to be healthy to play and we just haven't seen him and now I guess he's going to be sitting out through the first part of the, you know, huh? I believe it was a hip injury. Hip injury, there you go. And now he's going to be out through the first part of the season. I mean, maybe just a couple of games. I haven't really heard a whole lot in that respect. Maybe you know more about that than I do. But, like, we still won't see him on the floor when the season starts. Uh, yeah, as far as injuries go, uh, the Grizzlies are looking at starting without Jaron Jackson Jr., who's still 
suffering from, I believe it's a leg injury of some sort. Uh, and Justice Winslow will also be out. Uh, the the hope is early to mid-January. Okay. All right. Wow. I mean, at least it's a target date that's somewhere in the ballpark. You know, maybe around MLK Day. Yeah, yeah. And so somewhere, they're, hope, they're hoping not to miss too many games, but, uh, yeah. Gotta wait and see. Jackson, Jackson yep, it is a, it's a leg injury. He has a torn meniscus in his left knee. Oh, got you. Yeah, it's rough. I, I got to go into uh, the player who's most likely to be moved next season. And why is it Jonas Valanciunas? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I actually have a, I actually have a different name. I brought this up in my Grizzlies uh, offseason preview. All right, let's get it. Uh, Gorgie Jang. Really now? Okay. Tell so, us some why. So... Jang has Jang, he he's a good player, don't get me wrong, but he is the highest played player on this Grizzlies roster right now, with seventeen million dollars coming in this year. Jeez. Uh yeah. And his his ability and the role that they're gonna be asking him to play just doesn't line up with that contract. And I so I if I had to place my bets as to a single player who the Grizzlies were going to trade away, I would be betting Jang. That's fair. That's fair. I'm with you on that. Someone who can actually shoot the three a little bit too. Yeah. And I think Valanciunas is, is going to stay there partially for that veteran presence that we were talking about. And, And I also think that it doesn't, it certainly doesn't hurt that John Morant and Jordan Jackson Jr. seem to like him. Right. <laughs> yep. Your guys, if, if you're good, if your guys like them, there's a good chance, especially if they're up top, that you can have some staying power. Yeah. Exactly. I'm with you on that. Okay. I mean, and it, it, I mean, he's been a good veteran. You know, I saw him even in the preseason game. Uh, want to say yesterday, giving some advice. You know, yeah. to Jai and Jai's now on his head, and everything like that type of stuff is what you want to see. So that's cool, but I could definitely see if a move has to be made. You know, he has some value in other teams that can, you know, he can space the floor a little bit. Normal big, what, 29, I think, 29, 30? I, yeah, I think. One of those. I feel like he is. I got to check just to make sure. You think I have that prepped already, but um, that's what the Internet's for. Oh, um, for sure. Let me see. But, yeah, um, a, a guy that I think his, his staying power on other rosters is there. So that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. He, uh-huh. He certainly has a lot of 30. value. 31 next month. Oh, really? Yep, he's 30 now. Uh, yeah, he'll be 31 next month. Yep, no, January 18th. Oh, okay. But he went from 25% from three in 2019. Um, or, or no, 20. he went from 38% in 2019, 25. But that was between the Memphis and, and the Minnesota-Memphis splits um, the past season. So it was interesting to see, you know, small sample size theater and all that. But he's been hiking up his three-point attempts about just two and a half a game, although he did go down to just under two a game for Memphis. So we'll have to see if that's uh, if that's more sustained. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. I, I think he can be a good kind of role player for us on on that starting on that starting position on the starting five, right? Yeah. It yeah. definitely is a chance for that, so I'm with you on that. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the the no uh, the player that uh, folks are really sleeping on here. <laughs> the 
this is another guy that if people not not only if people have followed my stuff at Beale Street, but if anybody has read anything that I've ever written, uh, at least through the last year or so, but I am absolutely in love and will always be in love with Tyus Jones. All right, yeah, well documented. I remember talking about that a while back with you. Yeah, yeah, I. It is well documented. I have quite a few articles uh, on Tyus Jones and on his play. Uh, but, you know, if you look at coming off this, this, all of this is coming off the bench and having not too significant of a role because, you know, Brooks and Morant were really there. Uh, but Jones averaged last season, he averaged 7.4 points, 4.4 assists, 1.6 rebounds, 0.9 steals, and he shot. 45% from the field and 38% from three, right? Uh, wow. He is, he holds the NBA record for lowest assist to turnover ratio that he picked up uh, during his last season with Minnesota. Uh, last season, he placed fourth in the league in assist to turnover ratio. Uh, and he placed in the top 100 in steal percentage. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Really with, productive. That's sneaky good. Yeah, 26% uh, steal percentage for him. Okay. Which, hey, you can't which, complain with that. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good uh, metric to show his kind of defensive ability, and that's one area that Memphis really needs to step up in is their perimeter defense, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I really like Tyus Jones. Uh, I know in just about every single trade scenario that is ever proposed by Grizzlies fans, Jones is always involved in it somehow. And every time my heart aches a little bit because I'm like, oh. no. <laughs> oh, so, man. Yeah, and so he, I think he's really – people are overlooking him a lot. I feel you on that. That's for sure. That's for sure. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, you look at and you're like, hey – you know, maybe there's um, maybe there's some hope that he can actually get not in this team, but at some point, either a long kind of rotation, uh, a player for years to come. I really wish he had a starting role in Minnesota. I'm not gonna lie to you. I think he, yeah, I, he he showed a lot of promise. Uh, I believe I, I'd have to pull up the stats there in an old article that I wrote, but I believe he was averaging a double double in the games that he started with Minnesota in his last season. In points and assists. Wow. Yeah. And so, and that's the guy that you really want on your team because that shows that he can, not only can he create his own shot and get his own shot, but he can help create shots for other people. Yeah. And and, and that, that kind of shot creation, both through himself or through others is, is pretty cool. So I'm with you on that. Definitely. Yeah. And even four and a half assists per game off of the bench. Right. I don't, I don't have the, numbers in front of me but i bet that's that's among the top tier for bench players and in the realm of assists yeah exactly i I would imagine it's an upper echelon there as well for sure so yeah Yeah. solid i'm glad we got a chance to talk about your love of uh, tyus jones here (laughs) hey we gotta get that in when we can man he's an underrated player he's a good guy yeah i'll always bring him up every chance that i get i will always mention tyus jones's name (laughs) there we are all right well let's talk about uh, a no 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 yes player and i I said interpret as you like i always go back to my one example uh, a couple years back well 10 years ago now uh 
Game 7, 2010 NBA Finals, a minute left in the game. Kobe was double-teamed, passed it around our test. Around our test, jab-stepped on Paul Pierce and let go with the three. I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then it went in, and everything was good. So who is that guy on the Grizzlies? So, yeah, so I interpreted it kind of the same way as the guy that, like, you don't want him shooting, you don't want him with the ball until he makes it, and then you're ecstatic, right? You love him. And – for me, those two guys, Dylan Brooks kind of falls into that category, mm-hmm. but he's quickly if he made more. Yeah, he's quickly more becoming a no, 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 no guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, um, no, no. What are you doing? Yeah. Ky- Kyle Anderson is the first name that came to mind with okay. this. Slow mo. Right? And, and a little more Grayson Allen, too. Like I said, when he is hot, he he he's very consistent in his play and so when he's hot he stays hot and when he's cold he stays cold and so Mm -hmm. you kind of get where you're getting with him yeah and so those are two guys who it's like every time they touch a ball as soon as they start their shooting motion grizzlies fans kind of like you know clutch their hair you know clench their teeth right and they're like oh no and then once it goes in there's a wave of relief that hits them uh but for sure i think those are two guys who are very can be very streaky on offense at times. <laughs> okay, I mean I totally get that for sure. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean those guys both are guys that when they get hot, if they make shots, they definitely have the the yeah. the, the skill set. Well, maybe uh, Allen way more so than Anderson. Anderson takes smart shots, but I don't look at him like a, a premier shot maker. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying I do that for Allen either, but I'm just saying if Allen knocks down three or four threes, I'm not surprised. Whereas if Anderson does, I'm like whoa big game for Kyle you know what I mean yeah exactly so so that is interesting there for sure but okay I'm with you on that I can definitely see that uh for sure all right so let's go down to uh the top two last two here top two guys you go to when the game is on the line now that might be different for you depending on what you think about you know on ball creation and whatnot but but let's get those two guys here I'm I'm looking at this I looked at this from Two guys, we need a clutch shot. We need to stay in this one or, you know, shot clock or a uh, game clock is winding down and you need to make something. And mm-hmm. in those situations, I want the ball in the hands of Jaron Jackson Jr. or John Morant. Oh, darn. I, I really thought you were going to say Dylan Brooks or Anthony Melton. So I am shocked. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah so that so- this one, right? You know, those are the two best players on your team. Those are the two best shooters on the team. And so you want the ball in those guys' hands when the clock is winding down. Yeah, no, you definitely trust him there with that. And honestly, it makes a lot more. I mean, there's nothing really to overthink on that. Those are your two best shot creators. Both can shoot. Um, yeah. Okay, here's a question for you. Shooting the three ball, would you rather have John Moran or Jaron Jackson? John Moran. Oh, I'd rather have uh, Jackson. Jackson. Okay, I was just curious about that. I'd rather I mean, have Jackson. Yeah, Jackson's definitely shown uh, a higher sample size being able to knock down those shots and on better volume. So I just wanted to know in terms of maybe not being able to create that shot as easily as John Morant can, but he can better convert it than he can. Yeah, uh, Morant, uh, what I like about having that scenario is that Jackson will put that up and you know Morant is making a beeline for that rim, right? Yeah, oh, to to put that baby back up if it misses. If he misses, he's getting that offensive rebound. He's another one of those guys, just like Tate, who shows this amazing hustle uh, while he's on the floor. 
that's true. That's true. Nope, I'm right there with you on that. All right, and the top two guys you go to for a clutch defensive possession. Tyus Jones and Jonas Valanciunas. Okay, I'm with you on that. Those are, okay. I feel like those are the best defenders. Tyus Jones, Jonas Valanciunas. So, Melton doesn't actually make the list. No, he doesn't make the list. I, I kind of wondered more, who would I trust more? With when you're looking at two guys, right? I'm looking at who do you want to make a defensive stop on the perimeter, and who's going to make one down low, right? Exactly. And in that case, I feel like Jones is our best shot at getting a stop on the perimeter, and JV is our best shot at doing it down low. But Melton is also a, a terrific defender too, so he would certainly, I would certainly not be upset with him. You know, and so upset with the team if they put him in that position. Yeah, you basically you're saying like if it happened, fine. But your first two guys you would go to would be Jones and Valanciunas. Yeah, for sure. All right, sounds good. Now we got to go to time, man. Uh, Ethan, where do you th- where do you think the Grizzlies will land this year? Yeah. So seventy two games. Yeah. So I think seventy two games. Mm, I didn't think about a record. But I think the Grizzlies. I think the Grizzlies will make it into the playoffs. I think they'll get in as an eighth seed, right? Okay. Uh, chances are, because if you go into that playing game as a seventh or eighth seed, right, the odds are in your favor as for pulling it out there, right? Mm-hmm. So I think they'll probably end up as an eighth seed. You're probably looking at a first round exit against. Uh, likely it'll be the Lakers, maybe if the Clippers step up for this regular season, they can get a good regular season record. But the thing that I'm going to advise people for and advise them not to freak out over is watch for Memphis to get off to a slow start here. Mm. Uh, I I would not be surprised to see them drop, you know, maybe three of their first five, right? Oh, wow. Okay. Memphis has shown a that, that they have trouble getting that momentum back up after a long pause. So they had they had a tough time getting wins to start the season last season, and then they went on this huge winning streak once the season was kind of in full effect, right? Yeah. And then uh, after the All Star break. Memphis saw a pretty long losing streak. Part of that was not having Jaron Jackson Jr. on the floor for sure. Uh, and then they started to, things really started to pick up. I think they won four of their last six before the hiatus started, if I remember correctly. And then obviously in the bubble, we saw they really struggled during those games. Again, a lot of that is due to injury, but the Grizzlies are also facing a lot of injury right now. That's true. Yeah, they have they have some issues they're dealing with already. So a lot of that, those same issues will continue because you have the same situation that presents itself. Yeah, and so don't if if they get off to a losing season to start, don't be hopping into my Twitter mentions going, "You said they'd make the playoffs, right?" Uh, <laughs> I this this is actually a I have I have a pretty good history with predicting Memphis's. Uh, regular season success because last season I wrote a preview piece and I mentioned in there that 
the Grizzlies' ceiling was as an eighth seed playoff team, and people uh, tore to shreds over that one. Wow. People, they didn't get to eat crow. They, they did not think that Memphis was going to be a playoff team. And then things Long really behold. heat up and pick up. And yeah, I mean, they ended up not being a playoff team. But I think if the hiatus hasn't happened, if the season had just played out uh, how it was expected to, I think Memphis probably would have been the eighth seed. I mean, yeah, if it had just been straight and everything worked out, you know, the way it was to begin with, no injury maybe. I mean, there was something so bad. I feel like they had lost steam uh, after the stoppage anyway. So yeah. you're right, like coming out of that, maybe that would have worked against them. But in general, yeah, they, they have shown throughout most of the year that they had what it took to be that AFC team. They would have been an interesting squad. I don't think there have been any problem for the Lakers uh, over the long haul, as we saw. But, like, it's just a nice little uh, change of pace, you know, get back in the playoffs for the first time in, what, two, three years? Three years. So yeah. that would have been nice to have seen, but I mean, we'll have to root for next time. But uh, even uh, thank you so much, man, for coming on uh, outside of on hoops habit. Uh, what you got on the back burner? Where else can they find you? Uh, what's going on there, bro? Yeah. So uh, you plugged it up at the top here at real Ethan Becker on Twitter. Uh, I have, I, I just spent the last couple of days uh, researching and, looking over and creating a 2020 NBA power rankings. Oh, wow. Okay. The season. And so I'm going to be updating that uh, weekly. The next time it'll update is uh, the 21st or it'll likely update on the 20th, uh, but right before the start of the regular season. And then every, uh, every Monday, I hope to update that. So, okay. You can check that out. I just put that up. That's something you can look at at for for no charge. That's up there for free for you. And like like we were saying, at Real Ethan Becker on Twitter, there's really nothing else to look out for right now. Everything's kind of paused with the pandemic still in effect. That is true. That is true. But, yeah, we got the season coming up in a little bit of time here. Excited about that. Make sure to follow him again on Twitter at Real Ethan Becker. The dude is a fantastic writer. Obviously knows his hoops. You know where to find me at Corbin NBA on Twitter. Hoopball. Y'all know where it is. Hoopball tweets on Twitter. Hoop-ball.com. Make sure to check that out. Not only for the Hoopball 360 deal that we got going on right now. Everything you need to level up for this fantasy basketball season, which has already started. I'm in a draft right now. I know I'm about to be in one with Ethan. Coming up here, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, also, real quick, we got to tell y'all, Hoopball, partner with the great folks at Manscaped once again. It is Lawnmower 3.0 season. Not for myself. I need my hair. But if y'all interested, use promo code Hoopball20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0 to get 20% off your order plus free shipping. So check that out for sure. Um, aside from that, you know, Ethan, I got my boy here, Frosty. I'm Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty. And I'll talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.